Okay, Matt. Well, this week, uh, the software defined talk Slack was on fire. So uh, you can, <laughs> if you haven't joined the software defined talk Slack, you're missing out. So go to the software defined talk.com website and uh, no SSH JJ set us up and you can uh, easily self register. But Matt, I want to start off with um, reporting from the Slack. So as of this moment, as of this recording, there is now a thread that has 1,009 <laughs> replies. Not, not a thread, the thread. True. It is, it is now referred to as the thread. So it has uh, 1,009 replies. And so, by the way, we, we're using the free Slack. So I, I don't know. Like, we, we, we're out of space. It's clearly <laughs> Wait, this. the thread go Orboros and it starts eating itself? Yeah, I don't know. So can you summarize? Like, I, I, I couldn't even – I can't even keep – I had to mute this thing. It was kind of getting crazy. Like, wh- like what's <laughs> going on? You muted the thread? I mean, not the whole, I mean a little bit because a lot of you – I mean, as I love the listeners around the world, a lot of you are replying at night and stuff, and it was kind of getting late. And I was like, oh, what? Well, yeah. At my night, your day. And I, I was just like, I need to. So I got the Do Not Disturb going. So can you summarize why – what's going on in this thread? There are 1,009 replies. Like, can you give me a short summary <laughs> of, of what I need to know about what's happening? Because from what I can tell, the topics were very divergent. In fact, some would say potentially they should be in different threads. Not the thread, no. maybe different threads. <laughs> so So – the thread started off with um, somebody, uh, I think it was uh, JJ, uh, talking about um, spelling, spell checking. And I mentioned that uh, I had put my spell check into English Australian. So I, I, you know, my Zs get replaced by Ss, behavior gets a U, that favorite gets a U, that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, that's how the thread started. But for some reason, we wouldn't end the thread and we've talked about such uh, diverse things as um, oil changes and uh, charcuterie boards. Um, we've talked about tacos. <laughs> uh, yesterday, I mentioned that uh, I got a COVID test, came back negative. Oh, congratulations. Um, I don't know why this belongs in this thread, mm-hmm. but it, it just seems to be the water cooler. So and, I was going to say, this thread uh, is actually, it's sort of meta. It's, it's actually not a thread anymore. It's, it's, it's actually would be a chance. It should be its own channel, if anything. Maybe, maybe. But but the key is, if it was a channel, then we could have threads in it. That's true. But then no one would do it because <laughs> it would lose the novelty. So my, the other question I have here is, so I'm, I, I throw this out. I was like, I have never seen a thread with 1,009 replies. And I'm we kind of surprised it works. <laughs> like I, so there was some strikes. I think I the parts I did read, there was some speculation at what point will the thread break? Like, you know, when did the Slack product managers like, yeah, no one's going over. Well, I guess a thousand. So we made that. So is it 10,000? Someone's like, no one's going over 10,000. Is it someone threw out 1024? Always, you know, favorite number of uh, oh all software people. There's a lot people. of good memories in this thread. I'm browsing through it. We got the, the, the Memphis Pyramid was in there. Mm-hmm. Well, it is three uh, months old. That's the other thing. The thread's been going for since May 22nd. So it's it's not exactly. I mean, it started on May 22nd. I don't know when it's been going now for you know three months. But do you think at some point, so when this eventually breaks, do you think we should open a, a, an incident report with Slack and be like, <laughs> and just, and just say Slack, like, we are paying you zero dollars. Please fix this. Like it's Your unreasonable friend. to think oh, that we can't have over a thousand uh, comments in a thread or th- uh, th- I guess hey. a thousand replies in a thread. I mean, like we could just outline clearly. You should have foreseen someone using this as a podcast, a tech podcast, whereupon p- people decided to just post an endless thread and you're not supporting that. And should we be upset 
threaten to pull our business, require roadmap reviews, ask for an escalation? Should we do the whole uh, nine yards? Uh, Brandon, have you ever worked for an open source company? <laughs> Are we going to get the, this, the community? Are we going to get like, exactly. this is a community thing? Oh, no, 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 no. At, le- at least working at an open source company, you can say, look, you're not paying us, but there's the code. Go patch it yourself. You know, I, I understand you want your ZOS support and you're not going to pay us, but uh, we're not going to do it for you. But there's the code. And in the case of Slack, I don't know what the response will be. That's why we're doing it, right? We're, we are exploring the boundaries of the freemium model. We are doing the software industry a favor here. We are the chaos monkey of the Slack thread uh, user group. That's what I'm going to go for. That's what we're, we are we're going to find a the boundary. To Slack. They are lucky to have us. <laughs> they are. No, I'm amazed. I'm always like, wow, Slack's really amazing. I'm, I mean, I can't believe this. I really surprised this works. I was like, this is kind of, I mean, if I was in charge, I would have been like, yeah, thousand. I mean, a thousand at the max. And then you just say, you need to move this to a channel or something. Maybe you have like a move to channel archive thread. I don't know what, I mean, but this, no. it does seem crazy. No, you won't right. promote, promote the channel. See, we're, we're giving them some, some valuable UX feedback, right? Now they know like, maybe we should let people turn threads into channels. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say this though. If we do break it, um, I don't know how Slack is licensed. I have to go back and look. But like, if they if we do break it, maybe we sign up for one month of a paid support. That way we can open a ticket. <laughs> oh, that wow, way we that, can that, get that... in. We'll do like the, the old workaround where like we just need one month of support, maybe even a week. Like, yes. what's the lowest amount of what? Is there so so? This is essentially the Red Hat model now, uh-huh. right? Where you've got the the five boxes that are paid Red Hat, and then we've got you know ten thousand boxes that are CentOS, and we're like, look, we don't know what happened with this paid thread, but you got to fix this thing because our other ten thousand threads they they need this. <laughs> um, again, we are exploring. This is a valuable lesson to the freemium model people out there, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the freeloaders are not. We're not freeloaders. We are. We are providing QA. And testing, load right. load testing, right? Well, absolutely. Well, listen, it, it, you you're a product. You appreciate these. I bugs, do actually. You? I love it. I'm sort of like because I really am. It is. It has to be. I you know I say this, and someone's going to. I bet you somebody in uh, the uh, one of the listeners, maybe one of the, will actually post something from another Slack and be like, "Oh, you think a thousand is a lot? Check this out." And <laughs> they'll go to like, nutballs. yeah, yes. they'll. There's always someone that they're going to be like, oh, you ought to see this thing. Or someone, yeah. even worse, someone would be like, oh, wait a minute. I'm in a Discord. Look at look at what we're doing in Discord. And you'd exactly. be like, what? I, I, like, how does that happen? I have a customer like that where, you know, anytime our product is like, well, we're going to put a limit of 35 uh, organizations on here for now. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I've got an organization with 1,000 and they're looking to move to 1,500 and, and jaws just drop, right? Because you're like, you know, they have this happy path. You know that the the developers want to go down, and you're like, no, 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 happy path is the wrong path. You need to deal with the pathological cases because the pathological cases are the people who are going to open the support issues and waste your time. I mean, not waste your time, but they're going to burn you on support. So sure. you need to you need to have more robust engineering up front. <laughs> you need you can't deal with your happy paths, and you can you can have a minimum viable product. But I'm going to tell you, like, I can't introduce your MVPs to my customers, right? <laughs> so this is, this is again, we are, we are valuable to the Slack folks. They don't know this yet. But All we right, are. well, Slack, hey, you can thank us later. <laughs> We're doing this for free. Don't even worry. Consider it a free advertisement. We love your product, and we're going to use it till it breaks. That's what we're going to do. That's and we're our, trying to break it. 
and we're doing our best <laughs> to try to break it. You know, we probably need to find the limits of how many emojis you can have too. <laughs> oh, Matt, Matt, don't, Matt, as you originally said in the thread, uh, you said we should not emphasize this behavior as, as what, uh, now Matt, you mentioned this earlier today, but I noticed it before you even said it. And I wanted to get to the bottom of this. Now, a couple of things we need to get out of the way. Through a lot of deep research, I know you were born in the United States. I know that you went to school in the United States. Okay. And yes. I was preparing today, as I diligently do, I was putting together the show notes, like, you know, kind of like putting together different things. And I, I and what that really requires, so everyone can see behind the scenes, that's a lot of cutting and pasting. I'm, I'm, I'm very skilled at cutting and pasting. So I cut and pasted uh, something that I saw that you wrote. And on my, uh, in my, uh, my computer here, I came up with two red squiggly lines. Two misspelled uh -oh. words is what I oh, saw. No. And I was like, yes. now listen, if this is something I had wrote, very likely to, uh, to spelling mistakes. Even Kote. Kote, you know, he's – but Matt Ray, I've worked with for a very long time. And I don't think I have ever seen you misspell two words in the same sentence. And I was like, what? I was just literally like, what is going on? This is not – like, I thought maybe the spell check was wrong. No. So then I, I, I looked at these words. One is emphasize and the other is yep. behavior. So I actually, exactly. I actually Googled That's this. That's what and kicked I, off the whole thing. I did. And I, was like, and I looked at this and I was like, wait a minute. Matt Ray is spelling. I guess he's not using the American English spellings. I was like. That's I, and what this, started the whole thread. I was like, Matt, I put my this spell is. Check I agree. That's why. I was, I was like, I am concerned. This is the first time I've ever been concerned about this Australia move. This is it. Like, I, like lots, I'm 100% behind it. But you've given up on your native spelling of your native language? Like, I don't think you can do this. I don't think you can just convert. Like, you have to be – because the people I work with that's, that are uh, speak, you know, let's, let's say uh, the British or England, the non-American English, right, they just spell the words their way. But, of course, I spell the words in American English. Like, you have to declare – you cannot move between – like you as a person cannot but, just but, switch up. It's not – you have to maintain I am, consistency. I, I am maintaining consistency because this is a work laptop and I am communicating with non-Americans. And outside the U.S., people use the British spellings. Um, and, and the nice thing about the Australian spelling – see, Australia has this really relaxed attitude towards spelling, grammar, or whatever. Oh, oh tell um, me more. Now, now, <laughs> no, wait, hold on, wait a minute. I'm all in, maybe now. Let me yeah, reverse yeah. myself. Where, 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 you know, the British dictionary will be like, it's spelled, you know, favorite, uh, you know, with a U. And the American dictionary is like, no, there's no U. And then the, the Australian is like, we're cool with either one. And you're like, wait, you can't have it both ways. And then when you look at things like, uh, you know, Oxford commas or, you know, any sort of grammar thing. They're like, whatever. It's recommended you do it this way, but it's not, you know, th their dictionary is full of like equivocations about, you know, meh, whatever you feel. And <laughs> which, you know, it's kind of liberating, but uh, I put my spell check in Australian because I'm talking to Australians and New Zealanders and I, you know, I wanted to fit in a little bit more. You know, if yeah, I was, I was just gonna say, I'm, I'm concerned. American. This is yeah. not the American way. The American way is not to fit in. I don't. <laughs> do I need to remind you of this? The American way well, is I, just I, like there is no other way to spell behavior than the way that we spell it. That's that's our <laughs> attitude towards everything. I mean, look at you coming with a re a very reasonable 
calm approach yeah, of compromise. Like I'm concerned about I'm you. I'm deeply. You may have COVID. You said you were. You, the test was is negative. Yeah, test negative. Yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna say maybe let's double check that. Let's get a second. Could be a false negative or whatever false positive. Can't remember well, which is which in the case of medical stuff. But let's let's uh, let's really rethink that. Yeah, I I I I got a, a renewed visa. I've been here for four years. I'm working for the Australian chef now. It's uh, I'm getting assimilated. It's it's all happening. <laughs> all right. okay. Assimilated. Well, yeah. I think you may have picked the perfect time to, to to move out. You know, so we'll see. Hopefully, come November, it won't be so bad. But we won't we won't talk about that. We'll move on. We are sponsored this week by Strong DM. Managing your remote team as they work from home, managing a gazillion SSH keys, database passwords, and Kubernetes certs? Meet StrongDM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With StrongDM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access, automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles, grant temporary access that automatically expires to on-call teams. Admins get full auditability into anything anyone does. When they connect, what queries they run, what commands are typed, it's full visibility into everything. For SSH, RDP, and Kubernetes, that means video replays. For databases, it's a single unified query log across all database management systems. StrongDM is used by companies like Hearst, Peloton, Betterment, Greenhouse, and SoFi to manage access. It's more control and less hassle. StrongDM, manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. Start your 14-day free trial today at strongdm.com slash SDT, all caps. Again, that's strongdm.com slash SDT. And we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. All right. So there was some exciting uh, tech news this week. So one, Cote is uh, he's busy uh, at the, the spring conference. He's probably being an MC right now. But we're going to talk about VMware anyway. So there was this good article, Matt, that I think we should talk about. So the title of it is, we, uh, it's, uh, it was an interview with uh, one of the higher-ups at VMware, and he says, uh, quote, we put to bed the debate about containers versus virtual machines. So let me start with the very simple question. Matt, is this debate been put to bed? Is it all over? Have we just all decided what we're doing? Well, the debate over who's going to make money is over. <laughs> So, so yes, that debate is over, right? Um, you know, uh, VMware has, um, you know, shut the door on somebody sneaking up and becoming the VMware of containerization, uh, mm -hmm. because pro tip or, you know, a spoiler alert, it's VMware, uh, VMware, um, kind of nipped that, that conversation in the bud, but, uh, you know, there is definitely, there are definitely customers slipping through the fingers, I guess, into pure containerized workloads. And, you know, but but VMware skillfully, you know, position themselves as, you know, they've got this AWS beachhead. Um, they're holding on to their customers. They're continuing to, you know, come out with um, product offerings that match what people are trying to do. And, and they also have the advantage of, you know, they've already got the relationships with the enterprises. And so they have the migration path for them, right? They're like, oh, wait, 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 we can continue to babysit your VMs. And as you start to look at the new stuff, you know, the new way styles of doing things, we can, you can leverage, you know, your existing tools into that world. I think um, they did not get, uh, you know, they didn't, 
you know, nobody out, out maneuvered them. And, and you spell maneuver with a, a U. <laughs> well, I don't. I, I, you know what? I'm just going to spell it incorrectly in both languages. So don't worry about me. <laughs> but now the one thing now in this article, I think this is a good passage because there's some good stats in here. And this is what the, uh, the higher up was quoted as saying. VMware is not going away. And with 70 million existing workloads and 90% of the enterprise having significant VMware infrastructure, it's better to partner with us. So yes, AWS is one of my biggest partners and also one of my top competitors. Competitive mm-hmm. dynamics and driving are driving partnership. And if you think about one company that's sitting across all clouds, has all platforms, has Spring and Kubernetes community, the answer is VMware. I think the kids call that a flex. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> it was like, okay, all right. I mean, can't really argue with the facts here. So my question though, out of this is like, do people, and when I say people, I'm mostly talking about the operations people and SREs out there. Would we say, do people like VMware today? Do they yes. like the tools? I, I, I think they do. Um, I, you know, a while back, um, I remember the early days of cloud when uh, I probably, probably like nine years ago or so, I, I gave a talk um, about the dangers of moving your workloads to the cloud, <laughs> right? And man, and it was man, you know, we may have to like confiscate your your cloud no, native no, no, card no, no, no. there. My I friend. mean, at the time, it was rational, right? And you know, it, it was about. Well, you know, you don't control your uptime, um, that sort of stuff. And someone had pointed out to me that you've never heard of a, you know, Fortune 500 company having an outage because of VMware going down. And how many times have you heard about, you know, some business going offline because AWS East is offline? And, and you know, we can all say, oh, you shouldn't have been, you know, all in on one AZ or whatever. But people trust VMware and they've you know, they've got, you know, the, they've got the uh, results to back that up. That's kind of my, my flex on that is, is, you know, VMware has a pretty sterling reputation um, as far as like the software quality goes. And, you know, they definitely maintain a lot of backwards compatibility, uh, kind of like Microsoft's, you know, to their detriment, but um, it keeps those enterprises happy and those enterprises is renewing and it makes those uh, renewals less painful when uh, you know, the customer can't hold an outage over your head. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the other thing, you know, inside this flex here, I, I, it's fine, but it is sort of like a real business flex. I think the missing or the part I would add to it, it, it would be more around, I think VMware administrators, like I, I, when you talk to people that are deeply committed to VMware, like I think they really like the tools. They really like using the tools they to your point it's they usually maintain a lot of backwards compatibility you'll meet people that'll say like i'm a vmware admin they'll say that like they'll they'll self-identify right and so i i think not only does the tool have a lot of stability to your point but i also think it has a lot of people that have invested their time and their career in it and they want to continue to use it and then and more importantly like there is something about they like using it i think they feel like they're being productive and they also feel like they're providing value to the organization. Because I don't think you could say that like some database companies and other companies like t- t- come to mind. I'd be like, do people like this company? Do people like this tool? Like, you know, there isn't, I don't, I think there's some companies like that are very large and enterprises where people say like, well, I have to do this. Or they'll say something like it pays well, I do it, you know, it's okay. But they've, they don't love the tools anymore. They don't, if you will, self-identify in that way. And I think what's so, I think what will be interesting going forward is VMware 
sometimes I think, you know, you don't, I've worked at a couple of companies where I feel like this is the case. Like sometimes people, like they talk about their strength without understanding it. It's like, like, so this is a good example of it. I think it's like, Hey, 70 million uh, existing workloads, 99% of the enterprise. But I think inside of that is you have built a really strong community with a lot of goodwill. And that's why you have those big numbers. You know, it's like these numbers are actually a indication of how strong the community is, not the other way around. And so when you read a statement, a flex like this, you do see potentially the opening is if people think, you know, if you will, the, uh, the tail is wagging the dog where it's like, well, we're just so good and we're 70 million. You can't go anywhere. And then maybe five years from now, people are going to be saying they're VMware admins, but they don't like it. Right. And the community starts to degrade. And well, I think that'll and, be their and, challenge. And VMware's done a really good job of taking care of their community. You know, they've always had uh, the VMUGs and, you know, lots of, uh, I was going to say developer outreach, but it's admin outreach, right? Yeah. That's, that's the thing about VMware. It's never been particularly developer friendly, but it's been admin friendly. And a lot of the admins are coming from, um, and, and, you know, what's funny is as a developer, I find their tools hard to work with, but as an admin, I probably would consider it like better than a lot of the things that came before it. And, you know, their consolidation, their, their ability to force other vendors to meet them, you know, to be like, well, sure, you're a storage vendor, but we're VMware and you're going to, you know, put your storage behind our UI and, you know, here's what your UX can be like, you know, you can have your own tools or whatever, but, you know, they, they, they're forcing their uh, homogenous, you know, they're forcing this, you know, uh, standardization of how you manage you know, data center infrastructure for good or bad. And, and once, once, you know, you are an admin and you've learned the ins and outs of it. Um, I mean, I've been around, you know, VMware admins and watch them and like, you know, it, it's like when you drop me onto a, a windows box, I don't know where anything is, but you know, there are definitely, I understand there's a lot of power there. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, they've invested in their, their users. They've, uh, you know, they've got, a good reputation for software quality. And, you know, the only people who really <laughs> don't like VMware are developers. And what they're trying to do is come after them with, you know, the container platform, the right. spring stuff. The and give them, baby. Bringing the yeah. Tanzu at them. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand, you know, they, they're, you know, if they, if they were to squeeze their customers too much on pricing, I've seen a few drop VMware in favor of like OpenStack or, uh, I even saw somebody roll out Proxmox, um, but you know that that kind of stuff happens, especially times like now when you know uh, a lot of companies are feeling the pinch uh, about economics and and reviewing their software contracts and seeing what they can get out of. Um, so that you know that's going to be bad for everybody, but um, you know VMware is pretty pretty solid position right now. Um, the only thing they really have to worry about is people escaping to the cloud uh, because once they're there, you know, the whole, you know, VMware doesn't have a great, they have a, a good enterprise compatibility story, but if you're all new, you're not going VMware. And so, you know, they, 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 they're, they're, they have a solid base, but they still have to keep going for something new. Yeah. And I think it will be fun to watch for this coming year. You know, Kote's doing all the announcements now, but it'll be interesting this coming year as Tanzu sort of takes its full shape and gets out into the market. I think that's going to be the uptake hey, of that. Been out for a year. 
I know it has. I know it has. All right, let's just say it wasn't all out. I don't think I'm breaking any news to say Tanzu wasn't all out. Let's not do it. So I think I feel like this is the year. It's maybe the uh the toddler metaphor. It's like, okay, now the you know, now now the thing's out. We can actually go see it. We've seen I've seen some clients in my world uh starting to embrace it, evaluate it. So it's really gonna be interesting. So I think if it gets yes. good uh traction, I think you're gonna say VMware is gonna be in great, great shape. If now, if they, but it is a point, like if they falter and it's like, hey, oh, only the VMs work well and none of this new stuff works well in Tanzu, you know, that would be bad. But I think they've taken a while. I mean, I think, I won't say they've taken their time, but I think they've been deliberate in building it out. And it sounds like they've, um, you know, I'm sure not everything is perfect, but it seems like, you know, with uh, all, all the friends from Pivotal joining up that I, I think we could make the case that it's going to be a strong product. So I don't know. We look, yeah, we'll I, just have to see what happens. But and and the battle lines are drawn. I mean, it's it's you know Microsoft on one side with Arc and Hyper V and you know their uh, you know a whole public cloud for people to to run on and and you've got IBM and Red Hat uh, with you know OpenShift and I'm sure you know there 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 is a fair amount of infrastructure running on uh, KVM and you know Red Hat uh, virtualization. So um, you know the 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 lines are there, but VMware is the largest, you know, probably the the largest of of those, and uh, you know they can't they can't rest on their laurels. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody can. But uh, uh, we'll throw it out. We know. should get equal equal time. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen the IBM Flex. I haven't seen any open uh, <laughs> uh, open shift uh, right up. Well, so I, we, I, we know we have listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, IBM's flexes are usually we're gonna spend a billion dollars. Never true. All right, so I don't <laughs> know. If so, like, eh, as I yeah, say, yeah. if you know OpenShift, Red Hat, if they have some flex, we'll keep an eye out. We're always looking for stuff. We'll read it. We'll read it. If they've got a flex, you know, we always like it. But uh, VMware, they, they seem a, a lot of bravado. But you know, we're excited for them. We'll see. Well, what you know, they're coming into their big conference. You you want to give people an uplifting message going in, right? I agree. You don't want to be like, well, we've had some hard times and we're worried about these things. You're like. Yo, come on, VMware. Woo! I like it. That's I right. Mean, you, no, you know, nobody developers, wants. Developers, to, developers. That's right. Nobody wants a downright sales kickoff, even if it's virtual. Let's let's we're all we're all winning now. Speaking of who's winning, Zoom. We've talked about Zoom on the show a bunch, but this this chart that you can view in the show notes of their revenue. So you know, the, I think the the perpetual thing is like, wow, you know, Zoom is is really, uh, you know, going up and, you know, are they really worth the valuation? And then you see this revenue chart, which is, so we've worked at some startups and we've seen a lot of hockey stick charts, but most of them are just fake. Like we're just like, oh, and then miracle happens. Like it just, it's, and we're going to do this, but zoom actually did it. They, you know, if you will crushed their number. So my question is, um, I mean, when you look at it, you're almost like it's 355% year over year on like real numbers. This isn't like startup numbers. It goes from what, 148 to three, or what is it? Sorry, 664? 146 to 664. So you're yeah. just like, I mean, you almost think it's like a misprint. So, so of course, one, congratulations. I mean, I don't, I, I don't even, I mean, other than like consumer companies like Google and stuff, I don't know if we've really seen something quite like this. At least in a while, maybe back in the day, VMware has, had, had did this way, way back. But yeah, my yeah. question is, is more, you know, it's just web conferencing. I, I mean, <laughs> it's not that it's not important. And well, as we've gone over many times, I am now just through my job and probably everyone listens to this show. Like I end up using all of them because whoever sets up the meeting, right, picks the 
the video conferencing. I even use today. I use WebEx. It wasn't great. WebEx always tries to install itself as like a default startup program. Oh so God. that is annoying, but it works fine. When you're in WebEx, it yes. works fine. Zoom works fine. My son is on Google Meet, you know, four hours a day going to school. Works fine. Um, I don't know. Never really use blue jeans. I guess I don't use them all. Although someone told me, I saw a funny tweet to this blue jeans added virtual background. So congratulations to blue jeans. Never use them. So this is my, this, this is where I'm going with this long opening of this question is like, I mean, it can't really be this valuable because all the other ones, you know, like we're going to wake up at some point. We're going to be like, Hey, these other products are fine. And some of them are free or some of them are somehow bundled to us free. So yeah. I just don't see like how, and it's not that like Zoom hasn't made a lot of money. It just means like if we think about the stock idea of uh, uh, buying stock in theory as, as trying to get uh, a discounted on future profits, I'm just like, it just feels like they've just had this one-time great event, but there's no way we should think this is going to continue to happen, right? Well, that's the beauty of the recurring revenue business model, right? How many people are going to, who are using Zoom today are going to be, you know, come, you know, a year from now say, oh, we're going to switch. You know, the, they're probably, as long as, you know, Zoom probably won't raise their rates. You know, they, they're, you know, they're killing it with what they have. They right. don't want to scare their customers off. They know, they know in their heart of hearts that, you know, some of these customers are going to churn. And so, you know, they, you know, if, if I'm inside of Zoom, I'm, I'm building up my, you know, success team or whatever, you know, putting extra effort into support and retention um, just to make sure that these numbers continue. But this isn't, this isn't a software, this isn't, um, you know, it's a subscription. And so um, I don't think they're going to be a lot of these new customers who in a year from now are going to drop. You know, I, obviously they're not going to keep up this expansion rate and, you know, the likes of Google and, and, you know, Microsoft or whoever are going to blunt, you know, the potential for growth. But, uh, um, you know, as you know, uh, full disclosure, I bought a bunch of Zoom in January and I'm oh. loving it. Oh, man, you're feeling good. You're all in. Hey, we should give our disclosure. But, We're not an investment podcast. Don't take no, any no, of no. our advice. Not an investment podcast. Although if you go and, back in time in January, buy Zoom, you know, it yeah. seems like it worked uh, out pretty well. Zoom, bunch of data dog. Um, I, you know, but anyway, uh, my point is, um, there will be a reckoning, but I don't think, I don't think it's going to happen fast. I think there will be a, you know, a plateauing, uh, that'll probably last a while, right? Because they have a lot of really good momentum. Um, I don't, it just doesn't, you know, because of the, the, renewal effect you know in the subscription model they don't usually drop fast mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of inertia in that subscription model so unless the product you know sucks which you know zoom is still the best of of the video conferencing um in my experience uh you know they're they're not gonna they're not gonna start churning people off fast and that's the key you know you, you're not you you you're not going to have this big, you know, just, oh, my God, everyone dropped Zoom overnight. It'll have to happen over, you know, month to month to right, month. Over a period of time. Yeah. And so as an investor, you would kind of see this sort of plateauing in advance. You know, and I'm sure, like, once people get wind of, you know, oh, growth is, you know, <laughs> down to 100% a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's, come, it's come so far down. Oh, it's come so, so far down. 
but you know, it, it's, it's a fairly safe place to be probably for, um, you know, as an investor for a while, just because those numbers, you, you can't, the the flywheel is spinning and they don't get stuck. Well, you I know, think the hard part is stuff that doesn't drop fast. That's the I guess you. so. The revenue, I'm I'm with you. Like so, revenue isn't going to change overnight by any means. So I guess the question, and this is like you know, you know, this is more a stock question. Is like, hey, what's priced into the stock? So like, if it grew six hundred percent, like. Are people, to your point, are people going to be disappointed with 300% growth or 100% growth? And, you know, I, I think this is interesting. I like to think about, you know, because a lot of products will often but, but say. But that's not their stock. That's not the stock. Chart. True. No, you're that's right. Their the stock revenue, is up significant. Right? Well, their stock is up it's, even more than that, right? So, yeah, so I guess that's crazy. So but, that's but the I'm whole. I guess revenue makes the stock safe. Okay, I agree. Well, I mean, it, it definitely again listen, not an investment podcast. Not even. We know Zoom's <laughs> going to make money. I'm not arguing that. So I guess we're just arguing. I mean, we're just discussing valuation here. So, so I think when I, and I think this is interesting because a lot of products will say or services will say, uh, and this is an attempt to position themselves beyond their market. Like Netflix will say, we don't compete with other streaming services. Like we compete with Fortnite, right? We're competing with like people just doing other things. And I do think in the case of Zoom here, it isn't like I believe any of the other streaming, I'm just not streaming rather, any of the other web conferencing platforms are going to, to if you will, you know, suddenly like take away their customers. It's just like the demand is going to go down. I mean, I hope, right? I think the demand, and I think what your 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 point is, it's not so much. I think people will leave because they they dislike Zoom. It's just there'll be less need to do Zooms. Like my son's yeah. hopefully going to return to school, and you know your kids. Are, I don't know. You didn't have the problems we had here in the U.S. and Australia, so maybe different situation. But you know, just like there'll be less demand. So I guess that's the thing we're looking at. It is just the need for this is just going to come down. And when it does, it's not that Zoom, the product, has done anything wrong. It's just there won't be as big a need. So that's why I just wonder looking ahead, like, wow, this stock seems out of control. Yeah. I mean, looking at uh, looking at my uh, my trade account, um, <laughs> You're gonna be like, Zoom I'm up, up for me is up 237%. Yeah. Wow. There from you go. When I bought. Um, but that's, you know. Is it right next to your Tesla? <laughs> I never bought any Tesla. Um <laughs> And apparently, yeah, everything's taking a bath today. But, you know, I'm not a short-term investor. So. That's right, long-term. Um, Warren Buffett, buy and hold, baby. Yep, buy and hold. Um, all right, Zoom. So we, we feel good about Zoom. Matt, Matt's still yeah. all in. I Listen, I, I'm just going to say congratulations, and I, I wasn't smart enough. I bought index funds, so look at me. You know, again, I just do this podcast. What do I know? Uh, <laughs> but speaking of what I really don't know, KubeCon uh, happened a while back, but thankfully – Someone did all the work and wrote up a nice summary post because let's just say I missed a lot of the sessions this year. I don't know why. Normally I'm all in and watching them, but I, I did. I didn't do my homework. But now a couple nuggets that I took from um, the summary was one, they're saying there are now 6.5 million cloud native developers in the world, 1.8 million more than in Q2 2019. I don't know. I mean, can't really doubt the survey here, but it feels like a lot, Matt. That feels like I, I that feels I, like a big number to me. I I I just question like how they define cloud native. I mean, are they is it anyone who's ever coded with a browser? So now they're including everyone who does scratch? I don't know. <laughs> I, I it just <laughs> um that just feels like a huge number. And when I look around and see oh 
maybe it's they're not qualifying that they're good developers. Um. <laughs> oh, Matt, we're gonna get a lot of email now. Gonna get a lot of hate. Uh, it, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've seen some things lately where I, I question, I question the quality of development sometimes. You know, um, but we, of course, we haven't broken the Slack threads yet, so you know, I don't know. Who knows? Um, well, the question from uh, our uh, our listeners who are actively on Twitch with us, which you can go to, go to Twitch, search for software to find talk. Uh, they asked the most important question: uh, How do you define a cloud native developer? I I don't know. The answer to that is I don't know. Would it just be anyone that's packaging anything in a container, or could you just be anyone that's writing a web service of any kind? Anybody who writes software that runs on the web. Ooh, that's even better. I'm I would just throw myself in there. I'm like I don't really okay, okay. anything, but I'm pretty about, sure I'm gonna go cloud native developer. If someone asks me, but yeah, sixty five Excel web macros. Oh, I'm all in. I'm I could be I could be a senior <laughs> cloud native uh, uh, or principal. I want to be a principal cloud native developer. I mean, you're writing, you know, functions on the cloud. I I just. I don't know. It, it feels like so. Maybe the whole question here. Maybe this is just a stupid question at this point. Like we really shouldn't count. Like it doesn't matter. It's like how many cloud native developers in the world versus how many developers in the world. It really just doesn't matter. All you really care is like, is the number kind of trending one way or the other? It's like it's really impossible to dev- to figure out these distinctions anyway. So I don't even know. Even if we figured it out, would it really matter? Does it matter if there's six point five cloud no. native developers and there's ten million <laughs> real developers? I don't know. Like, does any of that matter? Um. Only when you're looking for a job. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right. So everyone, listen, I just think if you've written a line of code in the last 10 years, I'm going to just say it. You're a cloud native developer. You're all in. You can do it. I mean, everyone update their resumes. Let's all be cloud native developers. Yeah, now, the sure. other thing that came out. So I was trying to go through the announcements here. So Falco, have you been tracking the security thing at all? Um, you- I'm, I'm f- kind of familiar with it. I, I follow uh Couple, couple of folks uh, at Sysdig, uh, um, and and uh, you know, I I, right. I I try to pay attention to you, it. You can uh, educate us all in here. So one, oh, here's no. what it does: <laughs> deep kernel tracing built on the Linux kernel. It uses ptrace, which I know about, so that's fine. I don't know about this ebpff pf thing. Like what? Like I don't even like. Should we care about this? Like what is that? Yes, you should. Why? Oh, Why should we care about this? New kernel hotness. Um, so the eBPF is the Berkeley packet, packet filter. Okay. It's a way of taking functions out of the Linux kernel and running them. It's kind of like, oh man, I'm going to like super oversimplify it, but it, it's like a safe way to run code in the kernel. And what it allows you to do is, um, in the case of like uh, Falco, is um, do packet sniffing. And you, you get the kernel to like expose its internals in a to to the user land in a safe way, and so it's I'm totally butchering it, but um, the Linux kernel is not going to grow more. It's going to start actually shrinking as they move more functionality into these, and the name doesn't really explain what it does, but it's it's because you know. It's not just packet filtering. It's anytime you want the kernel to do something, it has interfaces for you to do it in a safe way that doesn't that can't take it down. And so, um, in the case of Falco, uh, it allows you to just anytime somebody makes a syscall, you know, it gets externalized, and so you can trace, you know, 
which applications are you know hitting the you know which parts of the software the most and they're you know uh you know, Falco is is one is one of them. Um, I've seen uh, you know it's it's a way of doing like network tracing. Um, it just anytime you uh, people have done it for other monitoring things. Um, I, I'm not explaining it well, but I've listened to a couple of uh, all right. So it's just know, I mean this is another step forward in what I would just call like kernel hardening. Like we've been doing this for a long yeah. time. We tried to find different, you know, there's just different exploits. So this is another way to protect the kernel, make sure that you're not, someone's not getting in there and doing something they shouldn't be able to do. Hey, my quick, quick side question. What happened to D-Trace? Is D-Trace still around? Or is that like, uh, was that the sun tool that I just like totally forgot about? Did that die with Solaris? Um, I, uh, uh I think that, um, D-Trace, like, uh, Brendan Gregg, who is one of the like big engineers for it <laughs> over at, uh, uh, you know, at Sun back in the day, and then where did he go? Uh, Joyant probably or something. Uh, now he's doing it. Um, he brought a lot of that tooling over to Linux, oh, and okay. so he's one of the big EBPF guys now. Oh, and okay. so he's all up on this about how to get more visibility into performance of your code, how the kernel's reacting to it. He's actually got a book called BPF Performance Tools. Um, so but it's Jeff, all about sounds like a page turner. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it for 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 people who are into you know. Um, well, Dtrace was. I can remember when D, this is a long time ago. Dtrace came out. I guess it was a Slayer's thing, but so it's like real old now. But it was like, wow, yeah, this yeah. is like incredible. It's like, whoa, this yeah. is amazing. So I'm sure of all that work is is all moving that work forward has been moved over to to the Linux world and. Um, you know that's that's the kind of stuff that they do now, or that that he does now. I think he's at Netflix now. Okay. Um, and Shop, so you know, you know yeah, it doesn't because when I'm watching my movies, I want my kernels to be you know very hardened. Well, it's it's not just about hardening though; it's about performance, right? Oh, that's true. And mm-hmm. yeah, and and looking for uh, potential places to optimize, and um, so yeah, it's uh, it's just the new um, I don't know. <laughs> the new, it's the new security. So we're in. We're in on Falco. We'll keep an eye on it. It sounds like it's cool. Yeah. I was like, no, I think yeah. it's great. So I mean, I don't. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not giving the talk on EBPF. I can't even say it, so I'm not giving that that talk. But we should check it out. Now, the other ones that came out here was uh, I guess there's building a service mesh from scratch. The Pinterest story. I like it. I just like the title. Uh, the title of that talk. So we're not going to get down the service mesh rat hole. I think we've been down that like a million times. But. Uh, yep. The one thing I, I did want to say is that they, in this presentation, they say focus was on solving business problems as it evolved. So, Matt, this is just a meta question about this. I want to like, get a badge or something that says, yes, I understand everything that we do in IT is around creating business value. I would like to like have like a badge or like some type of achievement that proves to everyone that I really understand that so well that we never have to say that out loud again if I'm in a meeting. Because it's, I, I mean, so many meetings where people like talk about this as if it is like some new idea. So I don't know, like, may, do, uh, does the crowd at CNCF really need to hear that? I mean, do they, are there really just a group of people like, huh, man, we, I don't know. We just really like technology for technology's sake. We don't, we don't care at all about the business and they need to be reminded of it. Or, 
and if so, maybe that's okay. Okay, so it's great he's calling it out. But I actually, I want to like self-identify. I want to be able to go into a room and be like, I understand that. We do not need to have that conversation here. Because I think when this gets talked about, it's usually just somebody wanting to then give a monologue, right? They'll be like, we need to talk about why this is the business. And then they go on about tell a story, usually followed by like some antidote about where it wasn't done. And they throw in some like industry. We got to like, we got to solve problems for retail or something like that. And then at the end of this, you're just kind of back to the same thing. Like, Hey, that's great and all, but we got to like put the user stories in for the, you know, for the engineering team so we can like build something and we already get that. So like, can we just move on from that? It's never like helping the conversation in my, in my opinion. So am I just being too cynical here? What like what's going on? Is there a way that we can stop having this conversation, or do we really need to at these conferences keep reminding everyone of this goal? It it, it definitely needs to be there. Um, there, you know, I, I I am exposed frequently to people who seem to be engineering because engineering, <laughs> and uh, you know, explaining why you did something. Uh, and tying it to a business problem, that's the best use case. Because at the end of the day, like, I love, you know, I like writing software, but knowing that it's solving a problem for someone and, you know, the reason they have that problem is probably business related, that's going to make it more concrete. So uh, I like those kind of talks for sure. Um, you know, e- even if it's a talk of like, you know, why we use, you know, some existing tool, I want to hear like, you know, the business case that they made for it. Um, you know, I don't want to hear about like, hey, we did some stuff because it was cool. Because it was cool, I used to dig into that, uh, but you know, I got I got mouths to feed and you know, uh, <laughs> kids just into college and and whatnot. So, yeah. all right, well, that seemed to be the message there. Well, I'm just gonna say, I get it, I get it, everyone, I get it. We don't need to talk about it anymore. But okay, people need to hear it. They need to hear it now. Here's a quick shout out. Did you know that there's a EnvoyCon, Matt? EnvoyCon 2020, October 15th, That doesn't sound like a business conference. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe, you know what, Matt? Maybe you should keynote it then. Maybe you should get in there and uh, and give some kind of keynote about EnvoyCon. No, 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 no. I mean, the, the, the keynote I would want to hear would be someone explaining why Envoy is relevant to the business. And, and I'm sure there are reasons it is, right? Because, I, I mean, I, I, work, you know, I, I work with some companies that – their business is making the internet work, right? And so they have these sorts of, you know, you know, things that sound esoteric to us, like, you know, Berkeley packet filters. It's like, no, we actually, this is important to our business because X, Y, Z, right? So, you know, there are, def- but, but I don't want to hear a keynote of here's what's coming in the next release because that, you know, that's just software roadmaps and that doesn't tell me why I care. What is interesting, the whole ser- this whole service mesh category is just, it seems to just continue to get bigger and bigger. And like, because it does seem to dominate in the fact that it has its own day or own conference. I, I mean, I do I kind of come back to like, wow, it just seems like a lot, right? Like, I don't know, do, I mean, to your point, like, do, is it, maybe that's But is it a big issue. conference, right? Is I don't it, know. I don't know. I just, so, mm-hmm. to, to me, one of the most fascinating conferences is like the Linux Plumbers Conference. And you know what that's like? less than a hundred people. Right. And you know what, that is extremely esoteric software, you know, Linux kernel stuff that is going to be hard to explain the business use case, you know? And so we, we, you know, we may be talking this envoy con maybe like, you know, the 20 core developers getting together. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, and maybe to kind of go where I was saying before, like maybe that's the meeting though, where it's like, Hey, listen, we all understand why envoy is important 
because we're, you know, and we're self-selecting to this very uh, niche-oriented conference. And, you know, at the at Envoy Con, like, I probably, you know, it isn't necessarily, if it's, especially if it's kind of the technical community, it's like, no, they don't need yeah. to spend a ton of time talking about the business value. It's sort of like, that's table stakes. Like, we're all working on this. We know why we're doing it. But now but we need to spend a day getting into the bits and bites of, like, where it needs to go and work through some of the more challenging problems. And, and developer and conferences are, developer conferences are generally going to be smaller just because, you know, there's a lot fewer developers. I mean, apparently there's, you know, six and a half million of them, but um, th- there's going to be, a, that's a much smaller audience. When you get to a larger audience, you know, a larger conference, it needs to have a business, you know, relation. I mean, you know, conferences like VMware, you know, uh, VMworld or whatever with, you know, 60,000 people, that's not a developer conference. You know, there might be a developer track and it's off in the corner and, you know, they're self-selecting out of that audience. but um, you know, the, the business is the reason, you know, <laughs> this just in business is the reason software happens. It all happens. All right. All right. Well, Matt, you made a quick uh, little note to the, the, everyone watching on the stream there. I, I'm just going to say there are 20 million scratch developers. So there we go. You know, with uh, school starting, like the scratch development community is on fire. Everyone's and, in scratch. Well, and, and people are probably running scratch on a container in Kubernetes. So <laughs> that's right. Kids. Kids today, don't don't you just run your scratch in the web browser? And we need you to make that a full container for to get to full credit. I need to see your YAML. Show your work. <laughs> Show your work. Show all your work. All right, maybe before we get uh, before we wrap up here, a couple quick hitters. One, I thought it was interesting this week. Uh, um, Dell sold off the RSA security business for two point one billion dollars to uh, private equity. So I'm going to just go on record. I'm going to make the prediction that in uh, 36 months, RSA goes public at a value of $4.2 billion. Uh, and we're all going to be like, wow, I don't know. That's a, that was a good deal. And we're all going to look back and be like, these private equity people, they know how to make money. So that's my, uh, uh, for, the, for our non-investing uh, podcast, that's yeah, my we, prediction we with RSA. We useless investing in, uh, advice here. Okay, first, first rule of investing, go back to January. <laughs> Second rule of investing, be private equity. Again, we're not helping anybody. We're not helping you, but I'm just saying. When I see this, I'm just like, wow, that seems like a good deal for RSA. I mean, that seems a good deal for Dell. And then I'm, I'm sure in three years we're going to look back and be like, wow, I had no idea RSA was now worth four point two billion dollars. As I just completely make that number up. So, congr- I don't know. I guess congratulations to RSA. Seems like RSA will do better as its own standalone business. So it always seemed kind of weird to be inside the. I don't know, the big mothership of Dell. So I, I think it's good for them. I'm going to congratulate them. Um, <laughs> also in security, like, sure, everyone, you should use all the latest new security tools. But in the end, people are the problem. I thought this was interesting. Engineer admit, admits he wiped 456 Cisco WebEx VMs from AWS after leaving the business, derailed 16,000 Teams accounts. It's like, yeah, you know your users, know your data. Make sure you have your uh, access permissions set up correctly. And uh, if you're letting someone leave a company, you, you probably need to take away a lot of their permissions or all of their permissions right away. So I don't know. I just think we can't remind ourselves this again. It's like, yes, I'm sure there are like plenty of kernel attacks that are very bad. But a lot of times it's just, you know, take away access, especially from <laughs> disgruntled people. That was my, yep. uh, my question. And the other thing is that as the Internet's number one, Fortnite DevOps Costco podcast. I just wanted to tell everyone that uh, the stolen Fortnite account sold as part of a $1 billion black market. Matt, was that you? Were you selling Fortnite accounts? 
uh, I wasn't selling them. I, I need to go log into Fortnite, apparently. There's a new season out. It's got some superheroes I haven't played yet. Yes, so. I, my son has told me it is fantastic. He he was not that big on the last season, but he says the new season. He, he's, well, he's nobody seen, likes Aquaman. Yeah, yeah, he loves it. He, <laughs> he said, hey, he's telling me he can get Tony Stark and all this stuff. So he seems all in. I was, now, this brings me to my question, Matt. What, what, is you, what do you think your Fortnite account is worth? <laughs> well, um, like if someone got it, would they be like, "Oh, Matt Ray's Fortnite account! Look at all the stuff I got in here." I think I've got like a thousand V bucks in it, so I could buy Ooh. a season pass. So Ooh. you know, that's you about go. all it's worth. All right, yeah. so that's basically ten dollars, right? All right, <laughs> uh, yeah. But you and, can't transfer V bucks. That's that's what makes it kind of like why bother stealing an account? Well, I don't know, but I mean, if someone's selling a billion dollars, I don't know. If something Ooh, bad is going can down. You, with can it, you? Maybe people are posting like you know virtual hats, and then they steal all the accounts, and everyone buys the virtual hat from the company that's the money laundering front. Probably something's going on here. Somehow, yeah. so, something's happening that because there've is... been Kindle things like that. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. this reminds me. So there's the whole Fortnite. You know, the Apple Fortnite. Uh, they're still fighting, and so I, I thought, like, has anyone done this kind of hack? And all the way back to hey emails, like, what if you went this way? It said, "Hey, sign up for the subscription." And I'm going to mail you a letter. You're buying a letter. So if I did that in the Apple store, right? But it also comes with a, a subscription to the email service or to Fortnite. Would that be like the workaround? Because you'd be like selling a physical good. Be like, hey, sign up for this and I'll, I'll email you the, the, like you could just call it a book if you wanted, whatever. Just call it like some physical piece of paper that I sent to you. I was like, oh, that would be an interesting little like hack around the Apple store. Yeah. But then I'm sure someone thought of this and they'd be like, no, you can't do that either. But all the time and effort you put into it, Apple would change the rules. Like <laughs> as soon as they figured out what you're doing, they're like, you know, new new terms of service, and, and you're like, huh. And all your work, all your like postal empire has has fallen because of the whims of you know the Apple Store. Yeah, that's right. Sure. But <laughs> and I will say, like, I've tried to monitor the Fortnite stuff, just kind of just watching what people are doing. It's like I actually don't think them being kicked off Apple devices is that big a deal. Because one, they, people are showing that, I guess, most people that play Fortnite play on a different device. And it seems like people that love Fortnite will easily, if they have not already, they will easily find a different device to play on. So it doesn't really feel like... like I, do, I think this like a feud could go on for a long time, but, is what I they, figured out. They, they can't get the Avengers update now, though. I know, but I think they'll just go get... They'll just like, hey, I'm going to go to Switch. I'm going to go to PC. Like, they'll go get a different... They'll find a different Somewhere. way to play. I think yeah. most will. I think if you're like truly into Fortnite, you know, and I think a lot of these are kids, they'll be like, hey, I need my hey, parents, go buy me a different device because, hey, it's COVID. There's, there's not a lot of entertainment <laughs> your kids. So it's like, fine. Hey, you want, it's COVID. Hey, there's, hey, we all got to get through the day. If a yeah. switch makes the day a little bit better, fine. We'll get that too. So, all right. And the final thing, there was a poll on who should buy TikTok. So, Everyone says the poll said Google is the best fit for TikTok. Matt Ray, where are you on TikTok? Have you have you given it any thought? Are they going to get bought? Are they going to get stolen? Are they going to uh, be kicked out of the United States? Uh, I, I haven't really given it much thought. I it does not affect my day to day. All right, well here it is. Um, I'll just give because everyone wants to know who who uh, where does everyone think Google by the numbers? Are we, are this was we the survey. Some news? Now we're not breaking news. I'm just reading this off. Access, <laughs> Axios. So this is what they said. It's number one. Uh, when people voted, number one, Google with 29%. Microsoft, just so close behind, 24%, 24%. Snapchat, 22 Apple, 
22 seems unlikely Apple will get involved in this. Twitter, my favorite. That's the one I want to do. Twenty percent. I, I think I think Snapchat and Twitter are kind of logical endpoints for them, but I don't think either one of them has I don't the, think cap. the money. Amazon comes in at six, eighteen percent. I don't know. It seems like they a can, weird fix. They can roll it into. Don't they own Twitch? They do. I mean, Netflix. Yeah. Now that really seems out of left field. Like they, no. they don't. I don't think the the TikTok culture and the Netflix culture. But, I don't think that's going to work. Tell me Oracle's making a, some headway on this list again. <laughs> Eight is Walmart. I don't know why. You you explain it to me. And then finally, nine. Oracle comes in with six percent. So oh, so that just means Oracle Oracle is gonna make it happen. Right? Because <laughs> that's what you want. You want your databases and you want your TikTok. So where are you gonna store those videos? We have no idea. All right, well, we did get a little uh, listener feedback this week, Matt. I want to let uh, you know that I sent some stickers to, I believe it's Johan in Sweden and Sacha in Belgium. So I did my best on his name. So always happy to send stickers. And if you want a sticker, just send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. As far as conferences, if somehow you have a time machine and you choose not to go back in time and buy the Zoom stock, instead you choose to go back in time to today, which will be your yesterday, then you could watch Kote give his spring conference. But frankly, I would go back and buy the Zoom stock. But you decide. (laughs) Uh, I'll let you decide on how you want to, where you want to spend your time machine credits or your time machine V-Bucks. I do want to let you know that there's a DevOps World 2020 by Cloud Beats. It's the future of DevOps and Jenkins. You should go to that. It's virtual. It's September 22nd, 24th. Uh, we already mentioned Envoy Con. Somebody go to that. Tell us what's good about it. And then there's a QCon, which I feel like it just happened because like we finally got around to like figuring it out. But another one's coming, November 17th through the 20th. So uh, they're all virtual. All the conferences at this point are virtual. I don't. I don't know. I haven't seen an actual real conference. So, uh, so just assume when I say conference, it's it's COVID virtual. COVID conference. COVID conference. That's right. It's the COVID conference. Okay, COVID. <laughs> Good. Uh, but with all of that said, uh, oh, and then of course I have the last plug. Right. Hey, I mean the software defined talk Slack. It's been its best week ever. I can't even go through it. There's just been a lot of uh, fun nonsense in the Slack. So. If you need another Slack, if you need a, to see what a thread of over a thousand uh, replies look like, that that alone should be the reason you join. Um, but if if not, if you don't, if Slack's not your thing, but you can also follow us on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and uh, also TikTok. if you if you want to, you can also if you if you didn't get enough software to find talk, you can go back. I actually did an interview this week, so you can go back listen to my interview about with uh, Alexandra, and we talk all about APIs and some stuff about MuleSoft. And uh, God of War, we did we did get on some gaming, and she also gives great advice for tacos uh, in Monterey. If you're ever in Monterey, there she you tells you what tacos to get. So lots of stuff you, you everyone should be doing. Now, with all that out of the way, Matt Ray, what is your recommendation this week? So uh, a while back in the software defined Slack, we uh, we had <laughs> uh, someone uh, recommended a, a humble bundle mm-hmm. uh, that had a whole bunch of video games. And um, one of the games in the bundle was uh, FTL, Faster Than Light, which came out, I think, for the first time in 2012. So it's not a new game. Uh, You know, there was some expansion packs for it or whatever, but I am crack addicted to this game. Really? (laughs) Yes, it is a... uh, What kind of game is it, first of all? Was it a first-person shooter, like strategy? Like, what what is this thing? It's it's a uh, turn-based 
um, strategy, well, real-time turn-based strategy games. So you can hit pause and, you know, uh, move stuff around. So uh, where you have a, a little ship that's being chased and you move from sector to sector and building up the your crew and the strength and, and abilities of your ship as you get to the uh, end. So every game um, is probably at most, you know, two hours or so. Um, but uh, you just, you know, you move from stage to stage and you fight and, you know, upgrade your ship. And um, it harkens back to one of my early, early favorite video games, which was called uh, Starflight, which I played on the uh, the um, 386. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Now, Where, I, yeah. I, I can, we can assume the graphics were not very good. No, 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 no. But but the whole point of like kind of, you know, exploring and grinding and, you know, uh, Star Control kind of picked up that vein um, a little afterwards. So if you like those games, you will probably love FTL. And um, it it uh, just hits all my dopamine centers, all the wrong places. So um, I, I spent a lot of time playing it, but I'm almost done. Uh, I my my addiction will end. So um yeah, that's my recommendation. Is if you, if if that sounds the least bit intriguing, it's uh since it's old, it's cheap, and if you got the humble bundle, it was in there for free. So uh, there you go. All right, well, good. That sounds awesome. Well, I, I don't know. It's you know, here's a not my official recommendation, but I I bought the humble bundle this week. I bought uh, I don't know like three gigs of uh, unlicensed or I guess royalty free music. So one day, maybe we'll have better sound effects in software of my dog. It will not be Why? this week because there's too many. There's like, I can't make sense of it. There's too many sound effects. And so I, I don't know. Yes. I have to figure that out. Um, that but that is a frequent humble bundle problem. Is there like, here are 60 things. And you're like, because uh, that, that the thing, I looked through the game list and I, and I was like, I always wanted to check out that FTL game. Right. And then, you know, there were some other things in there that, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff I'll never touch. There is a um, little bit of like the humble bumble junk drawer. You're like, well, might as well. I'll just throw yeah. it. I'll, you know what? Maybe I need that. Uh, what am I going to do? Python with you? book. You know, maybe yes. I need, maybe I need 15 Python books. I don't know. Maybe I need 60 raspberry Pi uh, PDFs and <laughs> you know, I have them and uh, they're in my, my folder. My, my humble bundle junk drawer. That's right. Everybody, if you don't have a humble bumble directory folder somewhere on your computer, you're not living right. You're just not living right. Uh, well, my official recommendation this week is I've been watching the vow on uh, vow, the vow on HBO. And, uh, it's basically a documentary about like, you know, kind of this cult like figure and what's happening. And if you watched uh, the Netflix uh, wild, wild country, it kind of has that feel. So I've only, there's two episodes out. I have to say, I don't know. I just can't get enough of this crazy, um, you know, these documentaries because it's all real. And, you know, of course, like so many of these groups end up, if you will, taking an incredible amount of video of the, of themselves. So you're kind of seeing it all happen and it's just, fascinating i can't i don't know i have to watch it i'm just like i'm fascinated by it because you always say to yourself well that can never happen people would never fall for that and you're like no absolutely that i guess you know all human beings in the right situation are subject to some type of psychological uh manipulation so i don't know i'm watching it i'm two episodes in uh there's not a lot on tv so i really enjoy it (laughs) if that's your kind of thing if you're into that kind of uh documentary um of watching you know cult-like figures emerge. I don't know where it's going to go because I've, I've tried not to read ahead either. You know, um, So that's oh, my that's uh, pick of the week. Hey, before we go, though, Matt, Tenet, the new movie, is coming out. 
here in the United States, but I'm not going to go because I can't go to a movie theater right now. Can you go to a movie theater <laughs> right. in Australia? Is it safe you, enough? You can. I, I'm not, right? I mean, you know, I had, I had sniffles and a sore throat, and so I went and got a COVID test. I'm uh-huh. not going to a movie And they're movie like, theater. you have a cold. No, no, they're like, have you noticed uh, the controlled burns? You know, for the last week, there's, you know, there's smoke in the air. Of course, yeah. I have that, but, um, you know, uh, yeah. all right, you're not going to see the ten, okay? Because I don't know. I, I, don't, I want to see it. I want to I really see it. Listen, I'm all in. I, I just to want the to to watch. Like, I, I'm. Uh, this is the first time I said this. I think there's not any amount of money, but like, I would pay a lot of of a very high rental fee to just watch it on demand at home. So I'm hopefully yeah. they'll rush it to, uh, you know, like hopefully they'll rush it out. Like, so I don't know. So we'll have to see friend of the show, Chip Holden. We'll see if, you know, I think he was going to risk his life maybe to watch it. I think he may do it. So we'll have to see. Well, you know, the chances are good. If you go, you'll be the only one in the theater because everyone else is smart mm. enough to stay away. Man, Unless he, you're not. That's gotta, the problem. No, Matt Ray, you listen, as we open the show, You've been away from from the United States for too long. You will be uh, here in Texas. There will be plenty of people at the theater with you. So don't uh, you know? You've you've just been away. You've been spelling your words wrong, and it's gotten to your it's gone to your head. Let's just say that. Uh-huh. All right. Well, listen. If this is the first time you've ever heard software defined talk, welcome. If you would like to see uh, the show notes for this episode, go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 255. We've got all the shows there. You can subscribe probably in any podcast player you have. Uh, And with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Teach me how to boogie. Teach me how to doogie.